As homeschoolers, we can get really overwhelmed. Self-doubts can wreak havoc on our peace of mind, causing us to lose faith in God's plan for our families. A wonderful consultant and veteran homeschooling mom, Paula Siskanek, is here to talk about curing mommy overwhelm. Stay with us. Welcome to Homeschooling Saints, the podcast that helps you create the homeschool you love for the people you love. Our host is Lisa Maladnik, a Catholic life coach, TV host, best-selling author, and an instructor at Homeschool Connections. Hi, I'm Lisa Maladnik, and today I'm talking with Paula Siskanik about curing mommy overwhelm. Boy, we all know how that feels. Paula, after college, began a more than seven-year career as a chemical engineer for the DuPont Company. She was a scientist, researcher, and project engineer. Meeting her husband at DuPont, she was, pl- she was very blessed to answer the call to her vocation and became a stay-at-home mother of seven children. She began homeschooling her children as the oldest started first grade. At that time, it became apparent that there was a real need for a Catholic curriculum provider. So she dusted off her business skills and founded the family business, Emanuel Books, with the honor to serve thousands of Catholic families for over 20 years. It was during that time, too, that she also had the honor to consult with hundreds of families to bring encouragement, focus, and joy into their own unique homeschool journey. In May of 2018, Paola graduated her youngest child from the family homeschool with five having graduated from Catholic colleges, one now a senior at Benedictine College, and the youngest attending a local university, she spends her time between coaching Catholic homeschooling parents and Catholic businesses. Welcome to the program, Paula. Thank you, Lisa. I'm so pleased to be with you here. It's just like having a conversation, you know. I long to uh, just chat with you, Lisa. We rarely meet each other, so this is a great opportunity. Oh, yeah, a great we opportunity. Run yeah, yes, we to run talk. to each other at events, right? And we yeah, always... exactly. <laughs> it's so <laughs> nice to see you like once a year or once every three years, whatever exactly. that is. Um, but no, it's a joy to talk with you, too. Thanks. Well, if you don't mind, this is kind of how I start all my consulting sessions because, again, um, I, it's not me. It's really the Holy Spirit I love to invite. If you don't mind, I'd like to, number one, dedicate today's podcast to my spiritual mothers. Uh, one in particular, today's the anniversary of her birth into heaven. We pray for her. So, uh, again, these spiritual mothers who've gone before me that were that encouragement and always that light that showed me the path. And I'd start with one of my favorite prayers, and this is my guy, Padre Pio. So, um, if you don't mind, I invite you into prayer. It's in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. O Lord, we ask for a boundless confidence and trust in your divine mercy and the courage to accept the crosses and sufferings that bring immense goodness to our souls and that of your church. Help us to love you with a pure and contrite heart and to humble ourselves beneath your cross as we climb the mountain of holiness, carrying our cross that leads to heavenly glory. May we receive you with great faith and love in Holy Communion and allow you to act in us as you desire for your greater glory. Oh, Jesus, most adorable heart and eternal fountain of divine love, may our prayer find favor before the divine majesty of your heavenly Father. 
We ask all these things in your son's name, Jesus. And we ask the blessed mother, please pray for us. Father, son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks, Lisa. Wow, beautiful. Thank you so much, Paola. We usually pray before we start recording, but I love that you wanted to dedicate this particular topic to our spiritual mothers. It's so important to remember them, those who have gone before us, those who are still with us, and to appreciate the wisdom that benefits us so much. And obviously, the connection is that there were times that you felt overwhelmed too. What is happening to homeschooling moms that we can really start to kind of trip and tumble in in that sense of just everything coming at us at once. When you invited me to this, thank you. Um, The thing that really weighs on my heart most is the fact that moms are feeling super overwhelmed. I mean, not only, yes, okay, we have all these conveniences that make our life a lot easier to a degree. We've added just exponentially so many distractions, so many things that in a way make us feel like we have to be super moms. Add to that the fact that, you know, now we have that whole thing of that comparison game, you know, very easily go on to Pinterest and compare. Well, the same thing happens with homeschooling moms. You know, we read magazines, we do it, and we think that our family needs to match this plan when realistically the dynamics and the makeup of your family is a very unique makeup. It's blended of unique individuals and, and And you almost want to say, you know, everybody is going to be, there's only going to be one of you ever on this world at this time. Like, why do we expect it to ever balance and match what's out there in the world? Now, granted, we're human beings, so there's certain commonalities, of course, and we can maximize on that. But I really do believe that mothers who are called to homeschooling feel an overwhelming responsibility for their kids in a very special way. This isn't about, okay, great, I can't get, you know, I got rid of my kids, you know, can't wait till they're out of the house, you know. These are ones who are really embracing the idea of what it means to educate the whole child. And primarily, it's usually, and again, in our Catholic circle here, first and foremost is getting our children to heaven. And, you know, being able to do that, and it goes so fast. You know, I'm a grandmother now. We're expecting our third grandchild. Yay! And the joy of that, yes, everything they say about grandparenting is true. (laughs) That's all I ever hear. I look forward to that someday. (laughs) Yes, yes. But I can now say, you know, from this lofty position of being a pilgrim on that journey with many of the moms that I speak with, I'm just a little further down the road so I can see some of those big rocks and stones and potholes. And then I also can see from my perspective, why in the heck did I take things so seriously? Why did I make a big deal over things that really didn't matter? So it is a blessing to be able to share some of that, some of that insight. And and I really think that getting back to my spiritual mothers, I think they were always my touchstones. They were always the ability for me to get back to home base. And I really feel that more than anything is grounding yourself in your own spirituality has to come first, you know, and in the sense that we are really responsible for our own souls getting to heaven as much as, you know, even with your husband and, you know, 
to love one another, as Bishop Barron always says, is to will the good of the other for the sake of the other. Well, yes, that's true. But in many ways, it means that we have to let go and let them go on their journey. And that comes true even with children. We have to also accept that they're not a problem to solve or a project to manage. We have to let them sometimes fall down and fail or to stumble along some of their journey too. And that's hard. That's really hard to do. Oh boy, that's very hard. (laughs) It's so painful because the world is so dead set against our values and our beliefs. It's really tough out there. And yet we have this proliferation of podcasts and websites and social media stuff that connects us with each other so that we can find strength for the journey. And, And also, as you and I were talking about before we started recording, there are ways for us to gather together as women and build each other up and grow in our faith together. But let's come back to that idea that we're looking at the whole child. What are some typical, you mentioned rocks and boulders that are really kind of typical? What are we stumbling over? What's causing us to lose track? Of that. So I think one of the big things is in, in that attempt of taking our role as parent slash teacher so seriously, we tend to concentrate on just how many tasks have to be done. And it's human nature to say how much hasn't been done. Okay. So we're constantly focusing on, oh my gosh, we're behind, we're behind. If I had a nickel for every time a mom said to me, oh, this child's behind. Well, here's the clue. You're never behind with homeschooling. You aren't. Because when you align your curriculum towards giving your child a sense of success and mastering subjects so that they can contribute as a a citizen to the world and contribute their unique gifts as servants for God, then, you know, all those other little check marks and tasks don't really matter. They really don't. And that's a really hard thing to kind of undo because most of us have been through a, you know, school system. You know, we need to finish algebra two and we have to get to trigonometry and we have to do just check off all those subjects. And this is the other big one I know we had talked about before, Lisa, was moms feel uh, that they're just... um, they're going to mess up their kids, you know, like they're really legitimately worried that if they don't cover those things, or if they don't teach a particular subject correctly, that's it. They've ruined the child. They've ruined their opportunities. I feel like part of that, I think there's a spiritual component, which is that our spiritual enemy is one of his titles is the accuser and will always tell us that we're failing and so doubts because our mission is so important. The other aspect is that for women of our generation, you know, you and I are in those beautiful maturing middle years. Yes. <laughs> yes. We'll just say that. Yes. Um, and so, but when we were young moms, did not we get inundated with parental advice, a million how-tos, and this is how you raise your child, and, and all this pressure to have super children and to prep, prep them for success, and the pressure that we were taught to put on ourselves and on our children was overwhelming. And so dovetail that with the spiritual enemy. And boy, we've got uh, a cocktail for total overwhelm. Absolutely. And I think um, it's interesting. I had done a survey through our family business of moms and the top number one uh, comment mom said is, how am I enough? Can I possibly be enough for my children? And that's a really huge theme. The other thing is, you know, many are, you know, in their 
um, openness to life. We have many families who have large families and they say, how can I possibly teach so many levels at so many times? And again, the truth is you can't. You possibly, there's just, you know, nothing's going to change 24 hours in a day. It's, and your kids are going to get older. So the, the idea is that we have to always look first and foremost towards the idea that, you know, less is more if the less is focused on giving our children a real sense of success. And when that sense of success is really the cornerstone of everything that you do, the rest will follow, you know. So one of the tips, the big number one tip that I give moms is to begin each year with a like a reflection um, on your past year. One is to celebrate everything you did accomplish. Hooray! You know, you'd be surprised. I feel like we're going to give short shrift to that. Like instinctively as Americans, we're not going to want to rest on our laurels for two seconds. How important is it to celebrate? Yes, it is important to celebrate. And it is also, we're modeling, remember, we're modeling these things for our kids as well. We're helping them to understand that it isn't about, um, you know, vainglory, but it's about glorifying God and saying, yeah, you know, we took this hard mission on and we actually got these things accomplished. And sometimes they're not, you know, a, a tangible thing, like I finished my math book. <laughs> Maybe they're more that we spent this past year, you know, really getting to know our elderly neighbors before they passed on. You know, these are things that are going to change and really make uh, a meaningful legacy to our children. So um, my tip, getting back to that tip, was one goal per child per year. And when you reflect on that, that is the one subject that has to get done, that you have to see progress. And, um, and I'm not talking about you know, perfecting and having everything ready and lined up and you're going to do it perfectly. What I'm talking about is that slow and steady progress towards that one goal. And then everything becomes play second fiddle to that, you know. Um, for example, if you like an example yes, on that. Oh. Yeah, sure. So for example, I had, um, you know, a daughter one year that just really told me that she just could not understand her decimals, her fractions. She just, no matter what we tried, it just wasn't working. And therefore, we just, at that point, I knew that that year, even though, you know, it's not like we ignored her reading or literature or anything else, I wanted her to feel a sense of success. So, I did seek out different ways of approaching decimals. You know, just reading from the textbook was not enough to imprint it in her mind. Instead, we needed to physically get things, you know, cut up the fractions of actual physical items. We also did a thing, which is a cool technique um, called lap booking, notebooking. It's the process by which you make little mini books. And what that does is, again, it's a tangible item that they have to create themselves. So there's an ownership element to it, but there's a thought process in terms of what am I going to add to this? And it's a way, clever little way that you can take an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper and by folding it in different ways, you make little flaps. So for decimals, you can go, you know, you can go from fractions to decimals to percents. Now I've got three flaps and saying, wow, they're actually related to each other in a way that she had her own little personal 
you know, books that helped her through mastering that subject. Okay, so she was involved in actually creating some of the manipulatives, as we like to call them, that helped her to understand that in a kinesthetic and obviously visual way. So you were identifying, and I know you know a lot about this, you are identifying your daughter's best learning style. Describe some of the other ways that you've seen her learn that would not be acceptable in a regular school. How has she had the freedom to find herself as a student? So I'm going to tell you a story about another daughter (laughs) (laughs) who was really more of that also a kinesthetic learner as well in the sense that, and this is really with reading. I realized early on that um, she wasn't really learning her alphabet unless I pulled out the, like um, at that time, Lori Puzzles made these letters, foam letters that had little nubbies on them. And she would run her finger on the little nubs. And, and so we would say A, A is for apple, while she's running her finger along that letter. And that was what made the imprint for her. I also then realized as further learning happened that we, we used the All About Spelling program, which had a kinesthetic approach to it as well. You have these letter tiles that as you're speaking the phonograms, you're actually touching and moving them. And so that helped build up her spelling skills. But I also realized too that in every subject that she does, she is doing something. She could be standing You know, and you can say, oh, goodness, you know, why aren't you sitting down with your book and writing down? She needed to actually move or touch something. She actually needed to, like, play with a pencil or arm. Now, that could drive you, like you say, oh, that's a little tick or something that would drive mommy crazy. But what it did was that sensory um, strength in her is something so powerful. It is a tool that she needs to make that imprint and lasting impression in her brain. So again, homeschooling is the ability to slow down, not worry about every single subject, but try to focus in on these particular children that God has loaned for you for just some time and and be able to recognize what are their strengths and, and not to look at those things necessarily as something that's, oh gosh, this is deficient, I'm going to have to work around it. The best that we can do for them is to build up their strengths, to help them to understand God planted that in you in a way to serve him. What that's going to be will play itself out in your life, but the weaknesses can be managed around, you know, and um, want another story? <laughs> yes, but I just want to comment and go right to that next story that we're looking at God's masterpieces here. These children that were given are made in a particular way. And this process of discovery, if we keep ourselves, and we're going to have to draw back to this. We're not always going to feel this way or feel up to the task. But we have to remember that we're discovering along with our children. And if we keep that attitude of openness to who they are and how we can support them in the ways that they are uniquely gifted and called and made by God, so, you know, so fearfully and wonderfully made, then the children are going to also have a great attitude about themselves instead of being labeled difficult or behind or any of those things. So yeah, so continue. So that same daughter, you know, that same daughter really did not learn how to read until she was closer to nine years old, you know, and you could despair as a mother and say, and it it really became, we did do things and I do always recommend that, you know, you do try to discern if there's actual physical problems. We did have her at an eye doctor. There was 
a muscle weakness and it's the muscles towards focusing. So when she would open up a book to see a whole page of words and pictures, where do I look? Where do I focus? And again, God's provided these beautiful tools where you have these little like fluorescent strips that you can actually put on a page that helps to highlight that one sentence, the reading. And so doing that, and then also other vision muscle eye exercises that we did, and knowing that she would eventually mature out of that. But it was always, again, the idea of saying, you're not, we're going to strengthen those things, work around them and give you the tools to do that. But she also, I knew, had an incredibly strong imagination. Okay, she loved the story. She would tell stories in her head. And, you know, those early readers are just not as interesting as the stories that were in her head, you know? And so she just <laughs> couldn't keep her attention. So what we did was, you know, again, as she grew up, we always, I always encourage read alouds because, again, you're hearing those sophisticated patterns and they're getting a whole building block of understanding how stories are formed. That's a whole nother podcast, I'm sure, on <laughs> read aloud. But the idea being that as she got older, she, I gave her the homeschool connections. Uh, beautiful Erin, uh, you know, is just... I, and we're talking about Erin Brown Conroy, who created our whole writing program. Go ahead. Yeah, so her fiction writing miniseries, as soon as she was old enough, I got her in that class. And oh my goodness, she, it was so motivational, inspirational for her uh, because she ended up forming through some of the, the kids in the class, they went beyond the class time and, and formed their own writers group. And these are kids from all over the country. And each week they would do a Skype session and they would work through prompts and critiquing and helping each other with their writing. And she was able to maintain that all the way till she got to college. That's you know? fabulous. So there she is in a leadership position instead of being a marginalized student with a label stuck on her forehead. Correct. So, and she graduated from uh, Christendom in May. Yay! <laughs> Did her thesis on, uh, you know, how science and theology, you know, are, you know, compatible in the Catholic Church through the Vatican Observatory was supportive of science. So, wow, you know, I mean, what a journey. She's now working as a copy editor analyst for a philanthropic organization. So, it, it just, it's one of those beautiful stories. Um, that I love to tell people to understand. So you emphasized her strengths and Correct. she was able to, to, like you said, you have to let them go at some point. She was able to live into that with that foundation. So I do hear a lot of parents say, oh, that's well and good, but then how do you still get dinner on the table? You know, how do we get the laundry done? And this is the other big tip is that, you know, really when your children are getting to that age around eight or nine years old, they are ready to contribute in a significant way in your home. And I so often, I mean, one of the things we begin is that when they're young, they get matched up with a teen and they become their sous chef. So, you know, dinner, these are life skills. You know, mommy does not have to do all the laundry, nor all the vacuuming, nor all the dinners or the food shopping. So we really have to get away from this idea that we have to be all to everybody for everything. In the same way, when we talk about curriculum, we, again, less is more. And it may mean that some year you'll skip science for those little guys. Knowing full well, you're just not going to have time for it. Based on the family dynamics, that's all right. We'll get to it when we need to, when it's something that's important in terms of the 
the growth of that child. Fabulous. Just fabulous. It's really interesting, too, because we live in a culture that infantilizes young people, and we're really seeing the effects of that, the whole snowflakey, everybody's responsible for my emotional well-being thing that's happening on college campuses now, I think is just one aspect of that. Um, This inability to grow up, and yet children feel so good. You see the look in their eyes when they get to help mom. Um, They don't always want to do their chores, but there are moments when they're learning, they're becoming competent. It really stokes their self-confidence, shows that they're needed within the family. And that's where self-esteem comes from, not from constantly saying, good job, you're wonderful, you're the best, you're a genius. That's a lot of pressure on a kid. I used to love the line from the, you know, Pixar Incredibles where we say, you know, we're, we're, uh, you know, mediocrity is being, you know, rejoiced when we have to, you know, graduated from fourth grade, yay, you know. Celebrating. Yeah, when everybody's special, nobody's special. I remember that as a line from that movie. <laughs> I was like, wow, this was definitely written by savvy parents. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So it really is about honoring the dignity of the child. It really is. Uh, uh, that is something else too. And, and I really will say that very often we do not, you know, it's will. That's another thing. I think moms, again, take this responsibility. They say, how can I possibly know what my children need to know? And there is, there are beautiful scope and sequence basic guides, but again, they're just a basic guide to give you in terms of what subjects, when and where. But more importantly, it's really trying to not hurry up that process either, you know, uh, being able to say, oh, great, my child, you know, read uh, War and Peace when they were 12. It's about really trying to honor their age appropriateness and working with them in that sense uh, of just saying each one's a unique individual. So why should, that, that's the other hard part with grade. It's grades, you know, well, they're in grade five. Well, what does that actually mean, you know? Um, and why we still, you know, can't seem to shake that off too much. That's a really hard one. I understand that. Yeah. And it also teaches children that there are societal benchmarks that tell them their worth. Correct, correct. And so it is, you know, you are kind of going out of the mainstream as a homeschool mom. Rejoice in that, you know, and say, you know, we really, we're kind of like all over in grades. We're really working towards mastery, you know, so that if a child just naturally is this great mental math person, why stop them from that? Go with it, you know, and, but maybe they still are a horrible speller you know, and they're, they're working more at second grade, but meanwhile, their math is at fifth, sixth grade. So what we all know that, and it's hard to do that as a mom, but that's why I say, you know, really look at your child, one goal per child per year, because it's not about just, oh, I got to pick a curriculum. It's about, and that does take time. What do you do with the, say you've got uh, a teenager and you've been working with this kid and you see there are great strengths and this child has, a, you know, decent friendships and all that. Everything's basically okay, but your teenager's not managing their time at all. So should we just hand them an exact curriculum to follow all week long to keep them on track? Does that teach them well? What is, what is your best bet for instilling kind of self-management? in our young people as they're growing up? That's a great question. And that is one that's often asked by moms, uh, definitely in my coaching sessions. So um, again, we, the temptation would be to actually plan everything out for our kids. It's Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you do your math. On Tuesday, you do this. And even to the point of what hour they're doing things. 
Now, granted, if they are signed up from home, school connections, live classes, there are going to be things that have to be done at a certain time if they're enrolled in any kind of extracurricular activities. So plop those things that are fixed, non-negotiables, but the rest of the time, again, you have an opportunity to give your kids time management um, skills. And by doing that, one of the tips and one of the things I usually encourage moms to do is to develop what's called just a weekly assignment sheet. So this would be just a sheet that purely says by subject what you expect. In math, I expect you to do five lessons this week. I expect you to read half of that novel. I expect a paper due by Friday. And um, then have the child map out how they're going to manage that. Now, it's difficult, like anything else, even when you're teaching children chores, you need to model things for them. So those, that first month of homeschooling, or it's a new year, new routine, new ages, let's know that that first month is that uh, time that we're going to give ourselves to see how we do things and model it for them. So for example, on a Monday, you hand that to your child. They have to put it in their planning book. And again, if they're one who likes to do a, you know, a computer program or a paper one, whatever, whatever works for them, they have to check those things off, keep them. Because now what you've done is you've built in ownership. They've committed to this time. But you, mom, have to sign off on it in the sense of saying, well, it's not realistic for you to read a 500-page book in one day, you know, to the exclusion of everything else. You're, you're trying to help them and saying, well, if you have a paper that's going to be three pages, you will need to do a draft first in this. So that's where we have those teachable moments to kind of gauge things for them. But many kids will go off to college or life and just don't even know how to manage their time. I love the idea of giving them a larger goal and forcing them to sit down and problem solve. It gives them the open question of what does it look like in my week to balance these things and to succeed? What do I want it to look like? And then you might even ask them some questions like, what do you need room for? You know, are there other things besides just schoolwork that you want your, your week to contain? And where is your prayer time and things like that? So we might ask them questions that just kind of jumpstart their own evaluation. Like, look at all the things that are here. What do you want your week to look like? And then the other thing that plays into it um, is also learning how to manage your time by self-knowledge. So again, in teenage years, we want to build in self-knowledge. Uh, so a nice little great tip that I learned actually from um, the study person at my daughter's college was to actually get a stopwatch. And let's say you're doing a math lesson. Um, sit there, just do it. Let the stopwatch run. And then you're going to find probably around half an hour, 45 minutes, maybe an hour, you're going to start getting antsy. You're going to start looking around the room. You can't concentrate anymore. Stop the stopwatch and say, okay, that is my personal distractible time. <clears throat> so now you can build up blocks of time knowing that I need to, if I need to be focused on something, I need a 45-minute chunk of time. And always building in breaks, and those breaks should be physical breaks. You know, go walk the dog around the block, go play with the little toddler for five, 10 minutes, do something physical. No getting on the computer and doing a video game. You know, you really need to get outside of that 
get your brain back in action. And so that, again, is another great life skill. We can use that even at work. You know, I'm sure, Lisa, you know, it's really hard to get things done as an adult. You know, why is it any different? as a child. Yeah. And you know, there are so many studies out there now that show that the most productive people out there in sort of corporate settings are people who on by the clock take breaks and substantial breaks. They'll work for 50 minutes and then go have a conversation or walk around the building for 15, 20 minutes and then go back for another 50 minute focus session because they're refreshed, they're focused, they're able to really dig in and engage with what they're, what's in front of them. Exactly. So getting back to the part of teenagers too, it's, I do encourage, you know, have them do also a part-time job even or something volunteer. It's about giving them opportunities to get outside themselves. You know, the world is not about them. And in this, the sooner they learn that, <laughs> the better. There is that temptation as we mature through, you know, our call to holiness our ability to get to that transcendent, you know, living for God, there's that part, that immature part where you say, what's in it for me? And we want to stay there. And we certainly don't want, you know, our children to be those 40-year-olds who have no idea who they are and are still in that immature stage, what's in it for me? So it's, it is about giving them opportunities to grow as a person. And that brings in, again, full circle back to the spiritual side. We don't want them going off into the world without a personal relationship with God. And that has to come from silence. That has to come from stopping the busyness. That has to give them opportunities to, you know, they'll go, well, we may do uh, live the liturgical year in our family. We may go to mass together. We may say family rosary. But they need to start establishing their own sense of communion, of prayer, of talking to God. And if we're so busy all the time, we're not encouraging that in them, then, you know, everything seems to fall apart. You know, it, it is it is hard. And our world is noisy. It's full of distractions. It can drain our lives completely dry if we don't have that foundation. Just as we're wrapping up, Paula, um, what how, what's the first step when you work with an overwhelmed mom or uh, set of parents, or you're looking at a family situation, what's the first step to creating a lens for evaluating all these things? Like, I know that's a big question, and, and we just have a few minutes, but well, where do you begin with them to help them to find their own lens for evaluating their children and their situation and the needs of their family? So I encourage families um, to, number one, the foundation is husband and wife. You know, it's a priest once said to me, you know, if you're like at that deli counter and you pull that tab, your husband has ticket number one forever. Okay. So don't ignore that relationship because that's foundational. And in the same way, you need to spend some time touching base with each other and saying, what do we mean by education? Okay. And that's first and fundamental, you know, is it, is it about, you know, again, the faith element? Is it about, you know, success? And what do we mean by success? These are important conversations to have, and not just once, but to continuously have that, but to also work on that relationship with each other and, and communication. We don't always, you know, we can't take that for granted. So that's where you begin. Hopefully you're on the same page with that, or at least have come to a mutual agreement uh, in terms of where we want to process with that. So very often, um, 
the, they don't even have that discussion. Okay. And then the second thing I say is I really let the moms do most of the talking. And from that conversation, we really understand, you know, what it's like, where are you now? Where do you want to be? And what's standing in the way? And it really is as simple as that. And anybody can pretty much do that. You know, you can, you know, take a day or an afternoon or go to the library for an hour or two, quiet, and actually answer those three questions. Where am I now with my homeschooling? What would I like it to be? And what are my struggles? And so then what we do is we take baby steps towards those struggles. More often than not, it's a mindset shift. And that really is at the heart of most of this. Right. It's a lens that we're looking at things through, maybe impossibly high standards, or or as you said, comparing yourself to other images of what family life should look like. Does that typically where we're getting stuck? Yes, that is ultimately (laughs) where we're getting stuck. We're getting stuck also to, again, getting back to that whole idea that I have to be everything for my kids. And if I don't do it right, I'm going to ruin them for life. When a really great, uh, you know, again, Protestant sister in Christ, I had read her book. It was uh, um, way, way back when. And she's coined this phrase that I've said hundreds of times, but it's that you are not perfect and your children have free will. Okay, so put that together and that gives you the perspective. <laughs> mm-hmm. I also like to remind myself that our problems and our children's problems are minuscule compared to the arm almighty God's love, power, and mercy. Correct. Yeah, that's the other one too. God loves you and loves your children infinitely more and infinitely better than you could. And you need to rest in that trust. And that really is the heart of uh, heart of it all. And that really is, I would say, a majority of the time. Um, we need that. And we need our, our sisters in Christ. Women are, are created to relate. We need communication. We need our best friends. We need to be able to talk to each other and encourage each other um, on this journey. It, it isn't an easy one. It's simple. Love God, you know, but it is not easy. And that's, that's really the truth about it. And in modeling this attitude, this mindset of lifelong learning, of resting in the Lord and being open to learning about each other, about that complementary point of view that occurs, that living thing that is our marriage that, as you say, is the foundation for the whole thing. And we're discovering our marriage all the time, right? We had, this could be a whole other topic, but just in brief, we've had a vision for our marriage before we got married. Then we discovered the reality of our marriage and we will go through a period of lots of long periods of adjustment, but we start to discover that living thing, which is the way God uses our differing points of views, our places where we come together, and all of that dynamic to set the stage for something dynamic that He does with us when we keep laying it at His feet, discerning, and having honoring each other by listening and having those conversations. I love that you that you pulled us back to that as the number one priority. I think that's critical. Great. That's great. I do love um, how Fulton Sheen described marriages as kind of that staircase. You know, if you can imagine you're climbing at certain stages and sometimes you will hit that plateau and sometimes maybe during the child year, you're just sort of taking that for granted, but you are called to the next level and the next level and the next level. So, you know, always keeping that in mind, that's foundational with, uh, with anything that you do, always getting back to home base. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, everybody do find Paula at the link that we're going to put on the show page. It's emmanuelbooks.lpages.co slash homeschool 
life-coaching-simple. And of course, that's going to be at our show pages. So for those of you who didn't memorize that instantly, <laughs> do yeah. not worry. And also, um, Paola just you know, always, to mention, um, <laughs> go ahead. You can always find me at um, our family business, Emanuel Books. That's a lot easier. Emanuel Books, there is the coaching. It gets also to my blog where I share some of these stories too. Um, some book reviews and things like that that I've built up over the years. So amazingbooks.com is, is probably a simpler address. <laughs> yeah, and I wanted to sing your praises for two more seconds, and that is that when we were homeschooling years ago and think money was tight, Paula and her family sent, sent us for a tiny fraction of what these things normally cost, a whole bunch of returned items that greatly enriched our homeschooling journey. Just I, th that act of kindness, I will never forget. Paula is the real deal. Uh, she can really be a blessing to your family. She's got a huge faith and she's a real powerhouse out there. And everybody will, again, go to Emanuel Books to find her coaching and, and reviews and all of that. Paula, thanks again uh, for being with us. What a joy to talk with you. I could talk with you all day long. Yes. And same here, Lisa. God bless you. I enjoy it so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank God, you. God bless you too. God and bless everybody, you. please stay tuned for our short feature coming right up. Hi, I'm Dan Lozonis from EinsteinBlueprint.com. Today I want to talk about a most important transformation, changing the way your child thinks from a consumer mindset to that of a producer. From passively sitting around, only looking to buy things and accept whatever few options life serves up, into a kid who proactively goes out into the world and, and creates, produces, and ultimately sells a variety of things. If we want to unleash our kids' full potential and set them up for a lifetime of success, then this mindset switcheroo is an absolute must. Now I'm going to give you three simple tactics to help you make this transformation. First, do no harm. Pablo Picasso said that every child is born an artist. Indeed, all our young kids love to make things, not just messes, but real stuff. Leaning towers of Legos, yucky combinations of food, and even hand-drawn wall murals with indelible markers that somebody carelessly left out at ground level. We have front row seats to their glorious unbounded production. And we can tell right away when our kids are in these free-flowing states. When my own kids' creativity and imagination are on fire, they actually twirl about the house. In order to preserve their natural creativity, we just have to eliminate anything and everything that suffocates it. Honestly, it's mostly all the eye devices and passive video consumption. Remove those demons and you are almost 100% in the clear. But we also have to be careful not to fall into the common trap of over-prioritizing academics. I believe that one of the absolute main reasons to homeschool is so our kids can make music and art every single day to the max. The second tactic that will help turn our kids away from consumption and towards production is to invest heavily in their hobbies. Don't ever hesitate to spend money on the tools of their creation, whether it's a software subscription, paintbrushes, components of a DIY potato gun, whether they want a jewelry making kit, an ice cream maker, or yet another musical instrument, which may demand even more pricey lessons. Remind yourself that these are all high ROI and zero risk investments in their future. Winston Churchill said, to be really happy and safe, one ought to have at least two or three hobbies. I would also point out that hobbies don't just bring pleasure, they very often lead directly to little business ventures and even full-blown careers. 
The third killer tactic guaranteed to switch your job from thinking like a buyer to that of a producer and a seller is to get them working out in the economy as soon as possible. Did you ever notice how adults who one time or another waited on tables have grown up to be extremely generous tippers? That's because all that time on the serving business side of the restaurant industry permanently transformed what they see and how they think. The sooner and more varied real businesses your child works in, volunteers for, or one way or another gets insider exposure to, the faster their brain will be able to adopt the perspective of a producer. Also, the more bosses they have as a kid, the more disposed they will become to the liberating idea of becoming an entrepreneur, becoming their own boss one day soon. I certainly didn't grow up with an education that was steeped in creativity. I did have some hobbies as a kid, but watching and playing sports were not exactly productive. And I was tied down by academics and therefore didn't work in the economy much at all as a teenager. I know firsthand how hard it was later on in life to cultivate the mind of a creator and a producer. I'm determined to accelerate these important lessons for my own kids so that they don't have to go through what I went through. If you also want to turn your kids into producers and join us on our entrepreneurial journey, then visit my 15-year-old homeschool son's website, kidsgetrich.com. That's our show for today. Our program is sponsored by homeschoolconnections.com, where you can get online courses for your grade school, middle school, and high school student. Learn from the experts and make your homeschooling easier. Be sure to leave a review and share this podcast with your friends. And we'll see you next time here on the Homeschooling Saints podcast.